Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Happy Friday. I hope your day is going well and that you are having, I don't know, the ability to look forward to a good weekend. And if not, hopefully this will give you some good things to think about and to work toward. We're talking all about dating in the 21st century, and it's hard to do. It's a lot different than it used to be, a lot more complicated. So the last two weeks have been on dating, and we talked about so many different things, about how to be the person you need to be. Being an adult, we talked a lot about dating deal breakers, how to know what those red flags, yellow flags, green flags are. We've also talked about, you know, that love hurts. And and I told you that earlier on, last week and the beginning of this week, that when I looked up the saying, the sentence, I want to know what love is, I got 571 million hits on Google about people talking about they want to know what love is. And we have the Bible that talks so much about love and what love really is. And yesterday we ended talking about John 3.16 and to not resist the fact that you are made in his image, which means you are relational. And there's no way around it. And if God has given you the calling of being single, I'm telling you the truth. You won't feel like you're missing something. You might have moments, but people that like, like women that become nuns, the majority of them, they're really okay with that. They really feel married to God and they're really okay with it. It is a calling. And when God gives men and women the gift of celibacy, they don't really struggle. It's a gift. So if you don't have that gift, all right, and you really want relationship, then stop fighting it. Recognize that that's in the design. God is a relational God, and you're designed as he is. Jesus wants to be married. He wants his bride to be who she's supposed to be. So we know that love can hurt. And we have that famous song by Nazareth, who many of you are probably too young to know this, but this came out a long time ago. And the reason I'm saying it is because the, the, the words are so poignant. And the song says, love hurts, love scars, love wounds and marks. Any heart not tough or strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud, holds a lot of rain. Love hurts. Now, this is sad because this song doesn't have a good ending. It just is all about how much love hurts. It wounds me. It scars me. It hurts me. It marks me. And we talked a lot about, look at the life of Christ. And it's interesting that this song came from a band called Nazareth. That God was hurt. Humans scarred Christ to the point that he wasn't even recognizable. He was so wounded and marred. And so true love, real love, is going to hurt sometimes. 
but we want that love to produce fruit. We want that to produce fruit. So hurt relating from dysfunction and foolishness or selfishness and narcissism truly only injures and harms us unless we're willing to heal from it and heal well. So the hurt that we're talking about is growing, growing pains. It hurts to love people sometimes. And sometimes it's because we see the people that we love going through really painful, hard, horrible things, and it hurts. And sometimes the process a person is going through in order to be who God has called them to be ends up hurting us. So this is, this is a part of loving. So what we see in the sacrifice of loving people and being loved by imperfect people, change occurs. And the change of willing to face ourselves in order to love well is when true change occurs. Are we willing to endure pain that is going to produce a huge gain in our life? Because if I'm only surviving the pain, then I'm going to bring all the dysfunction to my next relationship. See, even if the relationship is really dysfunctional and I'm with an abusive person, I can still turn that pain into gain versus only surviving. And then that's all in vain. And this is where you've heard me say the saying that, that, that I coined. You know, I can have pain for gain or pain in vain, but I can never have no pain. And God accepts that. He knows his people are painful. They're painful to him. But he wants to make sure the pain of that relationship that he has with us and that we have with each other and with him is for our gain. We want to allow pain to strengthen us, deepen us, and cause us to be more humble people. People that can love with more resiliency and patience, forbearance, authenticity. Because when I can do that, I'm better able to recognize red flags. I'm better able to recognize abusive and dangerous people. See, I love this saying by Shakespeare. He says, love all, trust few, do wrong to none. I mean, that's, that's like the gospel right there. Love all. I love all people. I do. I'm not intimate with all of them. Because intimacy is earned. We've talked about that a lot. Intimacy is earned. Love is free. Intimacy is earned. God freely loves the entire world. Every single human that has been created since Adam and Eve, he loves them all. But he's not friends with everybody. Because intimacy is earned. The more intimacy I want to have with someone, the healthier I need to be. So we know we're not perfect people. And we can trust God implicitly because he is perfect. So let me just say to you, I love all, but I don't trust everyone. I don't. That would be very childlike and not safe. This is why we protect children, because they are so trusting. So I want, I want you to understand the difference between being naive and being innocent. As an adult, I am not naive. 
I am not going to pretend like the world is something that it's not. And I'm not going to pretend like humans can somehow be perfect. I'm not going to be naive about the sin of the world. But I can still be innocent. I can still hope the best, think the best, dream for wonderful outcomes. I can keep that innocence about me without being naive. And one of the ways I do that is I learn the difference between trustworthy people that make mistakes. They care about the mistake. If they care about the mistake, that means they're trustworthy. They usually feel worse than I do about what they've done. That's a trustworthy person. Because I will make mistakes in my relationships. And I will hurt the people I love. However, it truly bothers me. It wounds me when I have transgressed someone I love. It can keep me awake at night. That compels me to do everything I can to fix it as quickly as possible and do whatever it is I need to do to make sure it never happens again. And if it's something that's in a process that I haven't fixed yet or gotten a handle on, I'm going to be willing to acknowledge that and say, this is requiring patience. I'm very sorry. I can't get this fixed as fast as I want. I'm working on this. That's a trustworthy person versus an individual that wounds me, scars me, and marks me, continuously says they're sorry but never changes. This is not a trustworthy person or the person that doesn't care if they've hurt you or the person that says it's your fault that they hurt you or the person that is defensive when you try to express your hurt feelings. See, this is the difference between a relationship that creates healthy pain for growth and humility and an abusive relationship that will only elicit the need to survive. So I need to be careful with whom I'm trusting my heart. It's imperative that I have appropriate expectations on humans. So what do you think love is? What is love to you? What does love mean to you? What makes sense to you? What does it feel like to you? See, everyone's unique. However, we, of course, all fit into many human, quote-unquote human generalities. But what makes us feel truly loved is very unique to us. This is why people are so amazed when they find that one person that works for them. I mean, there are billions of people on the planet. So if it weren't an issue of originality and uniqueness, it would be easy to find someone that works. But instead, when you find that person, it feels like a miracle. So no matter how much we try to measure it, quantify it, analyze it as to how people fall in love, there are just these elements that are indefinable. I believe it is the element of uniqueness. It's that one time originally occurring person finding the person where all the dots and points connect is truly not easy it is a miracle and that's why God is so amazing he can be all things to all people so the most amazing feeling for people is to be loved and liked it doesn't get any better than liking the person you're in love with see God does both with us However, I have to say there are sometimes he doesn't really like us, but he does really love us. And on 
like the all-encompassing piece is how much he likes his creation. He likes those things about us, those quirky things about us. He enjoys us. So when the Bible talks about love, this is using 17 different versions and including the words loves and loved, etc. The average is 588.7 times. Now, that doesn't include loving in the New Testament or loving kindness in the Old Testament. That could add 100 more times. It's usually quoted at about 319 times in the Old Testament and 232 times in the New Testament. These different ways of saying it. Truly depends uh, on the translation. In Greek or Hebrew, it doesn't take into account how much love is talked about. So 589 times the word loves and loved is said. That doesn't count all the different ways we use the word love. And, the, and how God talks about love. So if you Google the word, word love, you'll find it to be about 1.6 billion. Just the word. Just the word alone. Now some of this was, uh, was a while ago when I Googled this, so you, it may be different. Maybe 1.5, maybe 1.8, I don't know. But it is billions of times for just that one word. So if we look at a preliminary definition of love, we will be able to prepare the way for our entire way of, of viewing love. So love is this heartfelt affection of the Christian in response to the love God has shown toward us. It's the gift of salvation. And love is first and foremost directed toward God and then toward others in the order of priority. God, family, that's especially our mate, fellow believers, neighbor, and even our enemy. So love subordinates the interests of the lover to the one who is loved. So it means that the one I'm loving, I have to many times overlook a lot of things. And love inspires us to be deliberate and diligent and self-sacrificial. And it's intended for our good. So our love as Christians is to be both a response to God's love and a reflection of his love. So let's look at Romans 12. This is verse 1. It says, therefore, I urge you. This is being a living sacrifice, right? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the newing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. So we want to understand that love is, is something that needs to be in action. We feel it, but we have to put it in action. And so when we look at the three types of love, this is Greek. And this shows up many times in the New Testament. And this is agape love, eros love, and phileo love. And Ecclesiastes so amazingly puts it. it this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, Though one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So when I talk to couples, and certainly parents, I say to them, you want to have that 
strand of three chords as a couple. As a parent, you want to have agape love and phileo love. Agape love is the love that is all-encompassing, that is unconditional. And phileo love is that of one to another. It's a friendship. But when it comes to romantic couples, we need to have all three. And when we have all three, that strand of our marriage, of our partnership, is not easily broken. So what is agape love? Well, this is the Greek word that's often translated as love in the New Testament. And it's different from the other types of love because it is about self-sacrifice. This is the agape love that we feel is when we send money to take care of people in other countries we don't even know. This is when we show up to do food drives for people we don't know. This is when we give money to a stranger. The agape love is taking care of the entire planet. It's loving humans because God loves humans. And it's me doing something sacrificial for another. So it can still be my friends. I can be very sacrificial in my love toward my clients, toward my friends, my family, children. It's when we're, in, when we're forbearing, when we're enduring, when we're seeing past, when we're forgiving. Agape love is that wonderful love that is neither romantic, sexual, or brotherly. It's self-sacrificing. It's, it's the nature of God himself. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It's God is love. God does not merely love. He is love itself. Everything God does flows from his love. And it's important to remember God's love is not, it's not sappy and sentimental. It's his nature and the expression of his being. He loves the unlovable and the unlovely which is us. Not because we deserve to be loved, but because it's his nature to do so. This is where we want to think about when we are practicing in our relationships, especially our romantic ones, we have to have an agape love. An agape love means you are not lovable. What you have just done is reprehensible. I don't even have respect for you. I don't even like you, but I'm not going to harm you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to stick by you. I'm going to do the best I can. And that's self-sacrificing. So if that's the, the, the uh, spouse that put you into credit card debt and you didn't know anything about it. And you said, okay, I'm willing to take our savings and pay those off. And I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to berate you for it. I'm not going to remind you about it all the time. I'm going to have, I'm going to, have to forgive you, which may take me some time but I'm going to help you, even if you don't deserve it. So, the Jesus, so Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that's the example of agape love better than anything. And this is the Good Samaritan that sacrificed his day, his money, his time, and what he thought people may think of him to help someone he didn't know. So let's talk about this next one. We have agape love, which is self-sacrificing, and it applies to all humans. All humans deserve the love that God has put in us and the love from God to others. So this is also loving the unlovable. Now, phileo love. 
This is the second Greek word, and this love means... It's kind of philosophy. It's the love or uh, love of wisdom or philanthropy. So phileo is a lot of times philanthropy. This is love of a fellow man. And this speaks more about warm affection that we share with family and friends. And so this is different than agape because agape is a sacrificial love for someone I don't even know. It's a sacrificial love maybe for someone I know that I don't want to sacrifice something for them, but I'm going to do it. But phileo love means brotherly. It's like, hey, we're dudes, we're friends, we're buddies, we're compatriots, we're comrades. And that's that easygoing feeling, that, that wonderful connectedness that we have with people that we are friends with. This is friendship. And this is associated with our emotions, with our heart. It's, it's how we feel. It, it motivates us to treat them kindly and to help them succeed. This is what bonds communities together, churches together. Many times if you have a great brotherly love at work, you work together really as a team. This is friends and family. So this is imperative that you have this in your romantic relationship. Do I actually like the person I love? Do I have a good time with him? Is, is, is my, you know, my wife, my friend? Like, we're just comrades together. We have good camaraderie. We enjoy being together, hanging out together. We laugh together. We cry together. We're friends. They have my back. See, we have to have agape and phileo in a romantic relationship. Or it simply becomes purely sexual. And it becomes all about attraction. And that doesn't last. And it's lonely. So the building block first has to say, I have an agape love for this person that, that I'll sacrifice my moods. I'll sacrifice what I want to say. I'll hold it back. I'll sacrifice being mean when I want to be mean. And the last one that we build upon, this is Eros. And this love, this is a sexual love. This is expressing sexual feelings. This is arousal. This is shared between people who are physically attracted to one another. And so we need these three loves when it comes to romance. And so it's helpful when we recognize, hey, if I'm dating somebody and I'm initially highly attracted to them, I better be very careful that the Eros love doesn't drive the car. Because if the Eros love is the one that's driving the relationship. I'm going to ignore a bunch of red flags when it comes to friendship. Do I actually like the person? Do I respect them? Am I falling in love with who this person is? And am I willing to sacrifice things I should never sacrifice? So what I want you to think about is this idea of the three loves and making sure you have them in your relationship. In your romantic relationship, you need to have the sacrificial love, that says, when I'm not attracted to you and I don't like you, I sacrifice. I need to make sure I have friendship. And I need to make sure I'm not just marrying my best friend and I have no attraction to them whatsoever. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me in this last hour, in this last part of the week. And I just, I just pray you have a great day. And God bless you in all your relationships. Check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com 
and we will speak next week. Have a great weekend. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.